and welcome to this week's episode of When You Get A Real Job Podcast. This week's guest is James Harrington, otherwise known as Harry, resident DJ at the Sub Club for over 30 years. Harry, welcome to the show. Harry, welcome to the When You're Gonna Get A Real Job podcast. Thanks very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I appreciate your time today. How have you found the last few months with the restrictions that we've had with COVID-19? Just as mental as everybody else. I mean, I would say my daughter had a baby just before Christmas. And so I now have a granddaughter and my daughter is the only person that I can see just seems to be cruising through this. You know what I mean? She's got a wee baby to focus on. And that's her world, you know what I mean? And she's oh. always wanted to be a mum. And so it's amazing hanging out with her and mm-hmm. my granddaughter. That's the highlight of my week at the moment. It used to be that and working on a Saturday night or whatever. But it's a kind of challenge, isn't it? I mean, at first I kind of got enthusiastic and I used to do arty stuff. And, and I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get back into doing that. And I kind of did with a bit of enthusiasm at the start. But that's kind of waned now. I'm kind of finding it hard to get motivated. I had my girlfriend for the first three months. So that kept me kind of doing stuff then. Now I'm... Kind of looking out the window and the leaves coming off the trees and thinking the winter's going to be a whitey, you know what I mean? That's going to be the real kind of test and it's kind of already getting there. It's it's just so different to anything, you know, like all those simple luxuries that you just took for granted. Yeah. Like going for a pint with your pal or whatever, you know, just daft wee things yeah. that you never... Th- being able to check out live bands anywhere in Glasgow right. any night of the week. You know what I mean? You literally, right. you, could, you could be saying it's Wednesday, what do I do? Let's go figure it's, it out. We can go and get a drink and we can go see something creative or interesting. at midnight and it's not like you could go, oh, we'll go here after here because it's, it's kind of closes down. And I get quite an active social life. I would go out for last orders. The the chipper somewhere like that most nights of the week and you meet people you know. I've not been there since the lockdown you know because now you need to book and it's like well that's it i mean let's see like any kind of fun or spontaneity that was associated with going out i mean the amount of times that you could have went into like uh, anywhere and met somebody and then you know where did that lead did it lead to a late night session with them and like people that you've known for years and that's how you got to know a lot of them and there's a lot of that kind of spontaneity that's not going to be there and also you know yourself the amount of times you've seen people at parties and go like right that's a great idea for a song. Let's do that. And all these kind of ideas that are conceived yes. in the late hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just been totally... Yeah, it's just... Such a, and I, I wonder as well, you know, like, it's okay. I'm a kind of older guy. I've had loads of fun, and I still am, luckily. But it must be a nightmare to be a teenager or yeah. to be totally. 20s and going out, a girl looking to get a guy or vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, it's all just so changed. I mean... What is it? You go on Tinder or something now, man, and then you find well, something, it. and then you that's go, are, are, are you COVID, eh, Eddie? <laughs> I, I can see your certificate. Exactly. <laughs> have you been sanitised lately? <laughs> I'm going to have to do a temperature test on you. <laughs> Get it ticked and all that with the doctor. <laughs> Just fill in this questionnaire. <laughs> <laughs> what was your earliest memories of music, Harry? It's been told probably hearing it in a car radio 
you know, or, or hearing pop music and not say what my mum and dad would listen to. And my parents tell me to stop rocking back and forward to the music. <laughs> <laughs> I did that, right? Through to teenage, like someone with, you know, like you see in mental institutions. That does that. <laughs> I just sit and do that to the music. Go, can stop doing that? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can remember looking at their shoes and thinking, they're not even tapping their toes. I thought that was weird that they just, this didn't... Uh, it did resonate. Aye, aye. I, that's, I, and that would have been about before school, way before school, that would be three or four or something like that. I can remember the, that. that's my first thing of music. We never had a record player till I was about 12 or 13. We got a record player for Christmas. So the only record time I could listen to records would be in pals' houses or when we went to see my grandpa and he'd sparky the magic piano. <laughs> I, I, I was listening to... Uh... I think it was Radio 6 yesterday and there was a, a, a chap on it that just written a book that was based on the 1980s and he was discussing the, the area, it's called Mayflies and it's getting rave reviews at the moment, but it's really just taking, and it's really just taking people back to those days of the early 80s. Yeah. But the point he was making about was it was hanging about just what we talked about before we came on, uh, Harry, hanging yeah. about the listens and the record shops. And we've talked about this before, Duffy, and the funny thing is, it was a generational thing that he highlighted that in some respects that's the equivalent of somebody texting. The way that you communicated, or people communicate now, we used to do that just hanging about the, the records. Ah, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. where the, 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 the younger generation would go on a Saturday afternoon, 14, 15, 16, yeah. and you'd flick through the records and talk to people, and you had that similarity of, oh, you're into Bruce Springsteen, or you're into The Who, so you immediately engaged with them, and it, it, it was funny to hear him say that. David, that's like you would... Um... You would maybe buy your favourite publication, you know, music publication, then you'd look at the reviews. And sometimes you would just take a stab at it. If you saw something had five stars, you know, you're kind yeah. of running off of somebody's opinion, but you're just like, okay, I'll give it a whirl, I'll do this, that, and the next thing, you know what I, I mean? You learn people's opinions. You learn journalists that you ah. thought, Charles Shar Murray or something like that, you thought, oh, I, I like his taste. If he says it's good. Or yeah. whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I've never, he's never yeah. given me a bum steer, you know. Absolutely. That's, that was almost... Melody Maker were absolute necessities. The NME for me was. I NME. I could do the crossword then. NME, Melody Maker. <laughs> what was the other one? Record Mirror. Record Mirror, yeah. yeah. Uh, Sounds. Yeah, did, 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 I mean, going on a wee bit, there was another lad, a, a guy, a Glaswegian guy called David Belcher. Oh, I know David. Journalist. Uh, absolutely. He used to do, in the early days, he used to do uh, music journalism. And he would, uh, any recommendations that he would suggest, I always went out and listened to. Oh, he's great, listen. David. He, he, wrote, he did the reviews for the Glasgow Herald as well. That's right, that's years right. ago, they were always really good. Absolutely. Very, very... Uh, he DJs as well, David. Is that right? I wasn't aware of I believe he does, he does occasional things in like bowling clubs and things like that, wee parties. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's like Steve Davis, isn't it? You know, so like, Steve Davis, the Northern Soul DJ. I was like, what? Right. Yeah, that's true. Man, he's sure got it. some tune selection on him anyway. Aye, you never know. It's, it's like the local bloke at bowling clubs is going to be the new thing, isn't it? Usually, <laughs> pence a pint, man, and Steve Davis. Usually, distance bowling. <laughs> so, Harry, taking that theme of being in a, a, a record shop, 
and take you right back to your, your early teens. What would have been the first album that you bought? You've got a, a vast yeah, array behind that, you. But the first what, album, what would have been the first? The first albums I got were uh, After the Gold Rush by Neil Young in America, America. Yeah. That was yeah. the first two albums I got. And then Tapestry by Carol King. <sighs> Still one of my favourite albums. I mean, that is... Tony Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And they, they, they were like the first, you know, the Christmas I got that record player, those were the records to have. But see, the, the record shop thing, I don't know if you guys, maybe I might be older than you guys, I'm not sure, but the original Virgin Records in Glasgow was in Argyle Street, okay. along going towards Anderston. Mm-hmm. It's now, a, there's a pub that sits in a corner, diagonally across from, what do you call that, that big Virgin Records when we were about 13 or 14, and right. steal album covers. I'll have to edit hippie, that out. What the hippies would uh, they'd a wee listening bit at the back of the shop where you could, you could go up to the counter and ask to get an album put on, and we'd get an album put on and we'd crumble bits of joysticks. Into joints and passing the people. No, they didn't pass this real joint. Brilliant. <laughs> so, so, I need to remember that to do. So, so, so again, just on the, the we're, we're going right back, uh, Harry. At school, were you involved in creativity or? Was anybody inspiring you, motivating you, any of the teachers with regards to... At school, I would say, I, I, I won a couple of kind of local art contest things. I was in, into drawing and painting and stuff like that at school, mm. and that's what I kind of wanted to, to do. And music as well. I was really into music, but I, I didn't play an instrument. I'd got piano lessons off my aunt when I was a wee kid, but she shouted at me and scared me and all that, so <laughs> it kind of put me off. I mean, me and my pals would, I mean, when, we, when you first get into underage drinking at 15 or whatever, do you know what I mean? We'd just all get drunk and pretend to be the doors or something like that, do you know what I mean? Again, something I'm still doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm still on that trip. I'm still on that trip. <laughs> I'm still walking down Venice Beach, man. <laughs> Gary Kelly always got it with Jim Morrison. I was usually Robbie Krieger. <laughs> I'm probably Rudy. <laughs> and I went to, we went to see bands. We dug school quite a lot as well. We went to Green's Playhouse in the, the lane outside the Green's Playhouse where the bands loaded in. And we'd always go and ask the roadies if they wanted a hand, if they could get us into the gigs. So I always went to loads of gigs there, you know what I mean? Hustling, big man, that's it, getting into those gigs, see it? Yes, yes. You're part oh, of it all. Where is he loaded? Well, I saw Neil Young there, I saw the uh. Harvest Tour, and Traffic, and Focus, and Donovan, and Incredible String Band, and all, all kind. Of, that, that was the music that I, I was into at that time, you know what I mean? Where, where was that, Harry? Was that the Apollo? Uh, well, before it was called Apollo, it was called Green's Playhouse. Okay. And then it became the Apollo. Apollo yeah. Yeah, but uh, initially it was it was Green's Green's Playhouse, and my friend Jerry Kelly, who sadly now is dead, he kept all the ticket stubs for those gigs. And you know, when he was dying of cancer a few years ago, he got them out. I was like, oh man, I for you know, where you forget so mm-hmm. much of what you've done, yeah. all those gigs that you went to. 
I've, I've still yeah. got a, a, a ticket for The Who that I saw. I think it was 1982 they played the Apollo. I've still uh, got that somewhere in the drawer, but uh, it comes uh, out uh, occasionally when you get sentimental over a pint and uh, a uh, Friday night. Uh, funny guys, I, I, I was four or something like that. Right? Four. I, 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 never, I, never, I, never, I never went to the Apollo myself. <laughs> The Barrowlands was the closest, greatest venue I've been to, I think, Glasgow. Uh, my regret was I sold my ticket for the Ziggy Stardust tour for like a tenner or something, which was a fortune at the time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think the face price was about two quid. But I did a milk round at that time, and you get like two quid a week for doing a milk round. Yeah. Getting so, up. So, so moving moving from school, Harry, uh, you obviously dogged most of it, so we'll move on quick. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start to evolve into the music sector? Uh, well, the music kind of came about because I was always really into it. So, so all the music, music papers, we knew the guy that was in charge of the paper boys right. at the local uh, news agent. So I got all those papers free and read them every week. Right. So I was I was kind of fairly obsessive, and then I moved to Aberdeen with a girlfriend and a friend that had done an apprenticeship to reggae. He'd never really heard reggae before, and at that time it was like Burning Spear and Bob Marley was just coming along and stuff, and I was getting really into that at the time. And he was just like, he swords, Clinton, that kind of stuff, or black music. I was moving away into more that sort of realm of music uh, by the time I was 17 or 18. Right. And he was totally blown away with it. He was like a, he was into karate and stuff like that. He never really was much of a music guy, but he just, he got into it wholesale and he became a white Rastafarian and he ended up getting a show on Radio Clyde and calling himself Youth Man and speaking in Jamaican Patois. Mm-hmm. And he actually got, he did well, he actually Radio Clyde paid for him to go to a reggae sunsplash in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so back then we went to the first ever Reggae Sunsplash in the UK and met David Rodigan and all these people. But he he kind of encouraged me because he's always like, you've got amazing records, you should do your own thing, not yeah. just reggae. And then when I went up to live in Aberdeen about 78, 79 with a girlfriend, he singing in a band at the time and she was at art school so she knew loads of people at the art school. I was working in a big drawing office. I've been a draftsman sort of thing. And hey, there was loads of young folk in my office. And so I thought, I'll just start my own night. Mm-hmm. So I did, I just with a couple of guys I knew that had done a wee thing. I did my girlfriend's birthday party and loads of people had music. It was amazing. And I was like dead chuffed. And so for my birthday, I was, I was making good money working in the oil industry. So I was buying imports as well at that time, sure. which not many people had, you know what I mean? There wasn't many people ordering imports. <laughs> so I was buying imports and I, I bought myself with twin turntables. They were bell drive, I couldn't mix or anything. Mm-hmm. But I wanted it just to make up, you know, that back back in those days you made kind of cassettes for your mate going on yeah. holiday or whatever, you know, you'd make up a wee... Mixtape. Yeah. yeah, a wee mixtape and you try and blend the music in a way that kind of had some kind of narrative or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So I was doing that for friends. And then when I came back to Glasgow, I did a night and it wasn't massively successful, but enough people we came who were friends came to it. And then when I came back to Glasgow, my brother was friends with a guy called Ewan Dale that was one of the residents at the sub club. And Ewan and I were into very similar music. And when he was going on holiday, they asked me to, to stand in for him. Mm. 
and I think I'd be about 86 or, or something like that. And I stood in for Ewan and the manager of the club took my phone number and said, oh, if we're ever needing that was really good, we really enjoyed it, we'll get you back. And so they started to get me back on an occasional basis. And then a guy that had asked for my number that night for me said, oh, do you want to get a wee meeting? I want to get a chat with you about something. And so I met him in the cul-de-sac. He worked in the cul-de-sac, which was National Lane at the time, and said, listen, eh, my boss kind of owns Lucifer's in Jamaica Street, where the sub-club was operating from at that time. Or was it? No, I think it might have been in Mardi Gras or something at that time. But he basically said he wants to... He's offered me a night and I heard you playing another night. Do you want to try and do something together? And I was like, that, hey, why not? That'd be great. Oh, and I started a wee terribly unsuccessful night in East Kilbride before that. Though there was a big fight and the police came and all that. And it was uh, just a bit of a nightmare. But uh, that was when I kind of got a foot in the door in Glasgow. And so we did a night called Beatbox in the sub club for, I don't know, six months, nine months. But because I'd worked in a drawing office and everything, I had the kind of idea at the time of let's get colour, let's get a colour a poster done. Because everybody was just doing kind of photocopied graphics on yeah. luminous paper. Mm-hmm. So at the time, no one else was doing that. And I was thinking, this would look amazing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we did. And it, it seemed to just be luck and time and it captured people's imaginations just at the right time. He worked in the cul-de-sac, he knew half of Glasgow music industry and whatever, and we just were in the right place at the right time and it just got busy. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. I know what you're saying here, Harry, that in the early 90s, you, you teamed up with Stuart McMillan and all the I did that as well. That was later. That was when I did, the, I did that with a guy called Jerry McLaughlin, who's now... A photographer, I think Jerry's doing in Switzerland. We did that, and that became quite successful. And then I, I got to meet loads of people. Nick Peacock was a resident there at that time as well, and a guy called Graham Wilson, Yogi Horton from Edinburgh, a guy called Michael McCrimmon, whose family went on to own the sub club at that point. But off the back of that, I got other things, and I was doing a Sunday night uh, in a club called Fury Murray's, which is Maxwell Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was quite a, a successful night. It was quite busy. We got offered, the Slam guys were doing a Thursday night there. I did the Sunday night, they did the Thursday night. And the, the guy that owned the sub at that time, he was a guy, Greg McLeod. And Greg approached us, offering us, offering us the Saturday night in the, the sub club. And we thought, why not? And we kind of, we thought, we were quite confident because between us, we we did nights that were kind of moderately successful, but we thought, oh man, it's a golden opportunity here. And we did, but I was working for a guy called Stephen Sleepman in a night in Tin Pan Alley at the time that was really popular as well. It was just in Glasgow big time. And uh, everyone's drinking purdies or something like that. Everyone's drinking all these fruit juices and water and stuff. And that was good. That was... With, uh, Lars Sandberg and John De Silva from the Hacienda and a guy called Adrian Rennie and so I was leaving quite a successful night to take a chance but I thought it was a, a gamble that would be good sure. that we could do something good because uh, club nights at that time maybe the short shelf life you know what I mean you never had any concept that oh this could be a career you just thought mm, six months down the line another opportunity 
Yeah. Everything's going to move elsewhere, kind of seemed to be the way it was. And so we took the sub club and we weren't very busy for the first three, four months. It's kind of all right, but we were, myself got offered to do the Stone Roses gig at a Glasgow Green. Mm. And off the back of that, the Stone Roses came after it and loads of the crowd, you know, because they announced, I think, on the microphone after it, right, we're all heading off to the sub club now. Do, 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 do. And our night was called Atlantis. And we just get drapes made and lights in. We'd invested in all this UV lighting that, you know, we're going to spring and everybody's a big surprise, kind of at midnight or something, a cheap moment. And we'd just turn off all the lights in the club and put these UVs on. So it kind of suddenly felt like you were in a big change of lights. Got such an amazing reaction. Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. just like we, we'd know, we thought it would be good, but it was like, wow, this is amazing. So you only <laughs> did it three times maybe in the night. Yeah. You did that changeover, but everybody just went mental. Harry, you said there, interestingly, that prior to a lot of the, the, the clubs had a short shelf life, but yeah. then joined forces with uh, Dominic Capello. And I suppose the rest, in many respects, is history that uh, you've been together for almost 30 years, if it's not 30 oh. years together, which uh, is hardly what I would say a short shelf life. Can you tell us a wee bit about that time? Well, 25 Domini, so I did it with the Slam guys for four, for four or five years. We did from 1990 to 94. Uh, and then uh, I think Orden Stewart were getting harder. They were going down a more kind of techno road. And I was still, I could play stuff like that, but I was still more in the house and warming up with soul to soul and more down tempo kind of stuff and things. And the club approached us and said, hey, hey, we'd like you to stay but and do do the Saturdays with whoever you want to do it with. Mm-hmm. And they suggested a guy, Oscar Filoni, who's a friend of mine who went on to do a successful night called Mishmash. So initially they gave me the night and I, I kind of thought that Oscar and I styles were too similar. And I thought Dominic, well, if actually there was a guy called Stevie Donaldson and Dominic did stuff together. And I thought Stevie Donaldson or Dominic would be good as a kind of counterbalance for a different type of music. And uh, But Stevie Donaldson had just started a, a Saturday night in uh, above Nikos in Sucky Hall Street. So we asked Dominic and, and Dominic came in and it's mad, isn't it? It's just mad that it's still there. Absolutely, Absolutely, man. It's beautiful. Harry, at this point, uh, we normally ask our guests whether they want to recite a poem, play a piece of music or sing a song. Uh, and uh, obviously, d- 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 you can see David is uh, just hanging in the back there to say we could also offer to, to play a song if uh, you wanted to choose something for him to play you. Aye. Oh, anything by Neil Young. Beautiful. That's it. Anything at all? Well, maybe. Uh, Something off after the gold rush or harvest. When you were young and on your own, how did it feel to be alone? I was playing, trying to make the best of my time But only love can break your heart Try to be sore right from the 
David, that, that's some fantastic Thank, Thanks very much for, for playing us there. Harry, going back to the conversation that we had, had earlier, you uh, obviously spent the best part of 30 years with Dominic and you've set up recording music under the various guises. Can you maybe tell us a wee bit more about the recording side of uh, your business? Well, initially, I, I, I had no idea that I would ever make a record or anything. I was approached by a guy called uh, Mark Goldinger, who's dead now as well, sadly, who's a, lo- a lovely guy, really nice guy. He used to be a part owner of Henry Africa's. And I worked for him in the shack. Did you? For Mark? Yeah. Aye. Really nice guy. I love Mark. Really, really passionate about his music. And uh, Mark had said to me, I've got a wee studio upstairs in the top floor above the sub club in 22 Jamaica Street. But he said... I can put you in, I say, I can't play any instruments at end, Mark. He says, I know, but DJs are making records now. You just need to have ideas. Do you want to? I'm happy to put you in there for a couple of days. I manage a band, like you to try and do a remix of one of their tunes. So I'd, I'd went in there with a pile of records and would play things and go, can you make a beat like this or whatever? You know, because they kind of guided me through the process. They did it like a, a work thing. And they, they guided me through this way that they worked. And I was like, well, this is great. So, and they had a really good kind of work ethic. And I was like, but I didn't realise at the time these guys were super talented. After that, I thought everybody could do what these guys could do. I could play them a piece of music and Shug could sit down at the piano and go, do you want it like this? Do you want it like that? And I go, any one of them, any one of them is amazing. <laughs> And he go, do you want it in this sound or that sound? And I was like, just blown away. <laughs> so these guys enabled me to make a record, you know. 
and since then, I mean, I know a wee bit in software and whatever now, but that that was it. So Mark got me that, and then off the back of that, he got me a couple of quite biggish acts. You know, he managed me at the time, Mark, and he got me M people and a couple of like rapper sort of things because I had a good working relationship with Ross and Shug. You know, they could guided me in how to construct it and and help arrange and whatever you know, and so. After that, I mean, I've only recently started making music again. I, I made loads of stuff with Ross and Shug, and then I realised when I went to try and work with other people, I go, "Can you play something like?" And you go, oh, "I can't play something with two hands, man. I just <laughs> play it. You know, I mean, one finger at a time." I didn't realise just quite how good these guys were. They could just pick up a guitar and play a bass and and whatever, and then record it in. And so I think the early stuff I did with them gave me the the idea or the way to know how to construct something and how to finish it. And, you know, because I went and I worked with other people and you maybe have a singer and you just be sitting about going, this is boring, man. There's nothing happening. I'm mm-hmm. not moving on here. Yeah. You know, and I hated that idea of being stuck. So most people I worked with, I finished at least one or two tunes with. But a few I thought, right, I can't work with them anymore because the the kind of process is it's too laborious. Too laborious, to Yeah. It's, they're over-precious about what they're doing. You know, to me, it seems like, come on, you're doing a bit of music. It's not, you're not making strings of life here. It's hopefully decent and good, and hopefully folk will ultimately decide whether they like it or they don't. You know, mm. it's not, it's just doing it and getting it done. It still amazes me when well, you be the same. You make music and sometimes the thing that you think is your masterpiece, nobody gives a toss about. Oh. You know what I mean? And you go, oh, everybody likes this other tune that you like. Seriously. I've actually had quite oh. funny over the years. There's like a load of my songs that I've let people hear me. That I've got my own personal favourites, you know, as you say, you're like, wait, yeah. this is the one. And then uh, they'll go, but I really like this one of yours. And I'm just like, Huh? I know. I think I've played it twice or something. Man. Like, <laughs> I know. That's the way the world does, isn't it? It's just, you have to go with them, though, isn't it? You have to go with what they like. I know. I know. But sometimes you, you get a bit pissed off thinking, why can't you just like what I like? Because they're just not all as super talented as they're doing. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we've just got that, we've got that yeah, special thing. package the looks and the... It's the look at the look at the records behind you, big man. That's what you call. Me. No, but so, you, you don't know a kid at seventeen can introduce you to stuff. That's just the thing, isn't it? You can learn off. I listened to today to BBC Radio Music Six. I listen to Radio Four all the time, usually at home. But it was just blown away by how good the music was. Yeah, I just made a deal with my my oldest that uh, I give him twenty songs a month of retro amazingness and he gives me 20 Maybe songs a month went. of new stuff that is going to blow my mind i was like that's a great deal i was like i'm into because the thing is oh this is that, that how many i know 100 percent. i mean i'm looking forward to it, it was a uh, now you're in the kind of what you going to do you're just like <laughs> when, when am i going to get a real job so uh, i'm just uh, like <laughs> <laughs> you've obviously done the recording side of things and the djing set have you got a preference as to which one you prefer uh, just now i'm at do you know the, the weird thing just now is the djing's quite weird to do because we've still been putting stuff out most saturdays but it's kind of a wee bit dispiriting to just do it at home on your own and you know because when, when you say prepping for a gig, 
you're kind of excited by the possibilities of where you can go at a certain time, you know what I mean? So you're always just in the moment and you're getting a kind of instant feedback to, to, to what you're doing. And it's slightly different. I'd imagine it might be a bit like being a, a radio DJ, but even a radio DJ will have a wee screen with calls coming up and messages Some coming Some kind up. of reaction. So you've got an interaction. See, when you're just doing a mix on your own, kind of you don't have that. And yeah. at first it was okay because you thought, this will be over quite soon. We'll be back in the club. Mm-hmm. But now a few months in, it's, it can... It can even though you've got all the new music, you're into these tunes, you're a bit like... Well, it's that whole thing, isn't it? You know, you're... Obviously, I have been in the sub-club many a Saturday night. When you vibe off the crowd, you know what I mean? Because the thing is, as well, you know yourself, if you've been up the road and you're putting a set together and you know there's a particularly good mix is going to come up, yeah. and you're like, I really want to see what people react to this. Yeah, and, then, yeah, yeah. and you're in the midst of enjoying it yourself, but whilst right. you can see everybody else doing that, and that yeah. builds everything. It builds your performance too. You know what I mean? Because if you're on it and you're feeling it and you're in the midst of that moment, you know that you give even more to yourself. But whereas, as you say, if you're, if I'm sitting here locked in, I mean, sometimes yeah. I can kind of tune right out and just kind of go right into it. But yeah. you are missing that, as you say, the dynamic between us and the crowd. There's, there's a symbiosis kind of gets created. But. Dominic's kind of not wanting to do anymore at the moment. I think he's doing a, a short one for, I think it's Radio 1 or something tonight. It's only like a wee 20 minute section of a programme but he's like I, I can't be bothered doing the mixes for the Saturday nights anymore and I think it's because they had us doing it weekly but I've been chatting with other people about this the future of streaming thing like where are we going to go we're, don't think we're going to be in a club for about a year at least anyway at least it's not going to happen but a guy phoned me the other day and he's more of a media background you know what I mean he's from that kind of creative industries technologically minded saying you know I reckon he's trying to build a platform and I think it looks better than what we've done with ours I don't think the subs put enough thought into the visuals or whatever you know what I mean whereas Mm -hmm. he's got the DJs film from four cameras he's trying to create an atmosphere in in the space in the club where it is like a club so that you're you're more vibed up for doing it. Absolutely. You know, it's not just in your house, like going through a playlist or whatever, someone to edit it and kind of make it a bit more professional. So I think we're kind of in talks about trying to do that. And his his idea, which I thought was really good, and I said to Dominic yesterday, and Dominic was like, ah, that's a much better idea, is said, rather than us do it every week, just do it once a month, and then it, it feels like more of an event for you yourself as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking forward to it the way I, I mean, and to be honest, I love my job. I look forward to every Saturday. I mean, it's the best day of the week for me. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to get up, go through all my new tunes, organise them, weed them all out down to what I might play that night. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then I get excited about it. What we're going to have to be doing though, Harry, is let's see when you're doing these bespoke nights to send to people's houses, what we're going to have to give them is like a spec list you're going to need this bass bin, you're going to need this light, you're going to need a position there. And we will replicate. The thing is, we can have the same experience all over, but we're all together, but not together. Maybe you could get the virtual reality goggles in one of the space beds. Now we're talking. That's it, man. And we can, like, like, we've got the wee floors as well. You can be standing on it, boogieing about, man, and you can feel it. Chewing gum in your kitchen floor. Absolutely, we can take it all too far, man, but it'll be good. Harry, you're, you're a 
very well respected uh, DJ. You've been uh, lucky enough to do an awful lot of sets in different residencies. The, the more I look at it, it's just uh, extensive where you've played and what you've been up to. Is there any particular gig that you would say you're most proud of? Yeah, I've done loads at the time. I thought, wow, that's amazing. Do you know what I mean? I'm getting paid to do this. Do you know what I mean? I get paid to DJ at some Caribbean island once and I'm looking at the sea <laughs> behind me and, Crowd in front of me and all that and all that. What is that? Do you think someone's going to tap you in the shoulder and go, right, that's it? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I've had several, I'd say playing with my son, the first time my son ever got to play in the sub club was pretty special because his mum and his sister came down and it was like a big moment for him because that's, you know, from the age of like 12 or 13 since he started getting into it. Yeah. You know, that was his ambition, you know, so that was that was a pretty... That's amazing, uh, man. Aye. I get it. I get it in a weird way when I see my wee man playing the guitar and singing at the moment. He's uh, getting there. And he, yeah. he thinks he's better than me already, though, man. But this is just not happening. I was like, listen, wee man, there is a many more years. I'm not quite ready to get the picture better than me. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honey, through obviously you did your drafting in the early years, and then you moved into the DJing sets. You've been hugely successful with them. You've been very successful recording and publishing music. Where about does your motivation emanate from? I don't, I don't know. I, see, now I think, you know, it's, it's funny to say I don't really think of myself as successful or whatever. I think more lucky. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would never have imagined a wee guy in his school bride, you know what I mean? Sitting in Jerry Kelly's room pretending to be the doors that I could have, that this job could have been a reality thing. To me, it's like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. And I'm motivated probably by the fact that I just don't ever want to get tired of it or feel, you know, like some people go, oh, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Or, do, do, do. I've never had that. Mm. Now, well, that's a lie. The COVID thing is maybe the first time I've ever really felt this. During this lockdown, yeah. I've been thinking, oh, God, do that next for tonight. Whereas before, music was always just like, oh, magic. I, I can do this now. Aye. And so it wasn't, it's not hard to be motivated when you're really into it, you know. Absolutely. Dude, I've, uh, I've went mental. I mean, I've, I joined college, I'm, but <laughs> I'm going to get myself an education. Yeah. At least that's I was going to say. I figured if it's going to be a prolonged period of time before I can get up there and shake again, then I'm going to yeah. go and learn some stuff. And then uh, hopefully when it comes back to you, then I'll have more power. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I, I mean, I can't imagine. I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, for the time, I'm kind of racking my brains. I could do graphic stuff, but I'm not very good on computer programs or whatever. But I'm kind of excited after speaking to this guy about maybe doing a monthly thing where I... And he actually made a point, which I thought was quite good as well, because say Dom and I on a Saturday, I'd say about 80% of what we play on any given Saturday is new that week. It's like a radio show. I think of it kind of like John Peel or something. Mm-hmm. I just want to introduce people to new stuff yeah. because I get sent so much and I buy so much. And that's, I think, what's kept us ticking over. It's always that wanting to be a wee bit ahead yeah. of the curve and never be complacent. You know, I know a lot of guys, you know, that still DJ about and still do big events, but they, they kind of play the classics, you know, and we've never really been about that. But he said, why don't you do a thing that's more like, your classics, you're more underground, 
kind of classics rather than the, the big obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Funny, I, 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 just when you're saying that, Harry, I just wonder if that's an 80s thing as well, that evolved, if you like, within the 80s. So I remember being at school and, and it was which badge you were wearing in your lapel corner. I don't know if you remember. Uh, you yeah, yeah. Prisoner 6 and then you had mod badges and then you had Joy yeah. Division badges. And it was the more obscure badge that you could get. It became yeah. that. Hipster said, badges, you know, sure. Absolutely. Hipster badges, man. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Sounds like a new band. (laughs) (laughs) But moving on, you you actually uh, you took uh, one of the questions that I had there, Harry, and and you've always answered it. Because I was going to ask yourself, do you recognise yourself as being successful? No, I I I think more lucky. I'm more lucky than successful. I I don't know. I I assume successful is I don't know. You get loads of money, or I don't know. Or everybody thinks you're great at what you do. In that way, I cannot think I'm I'm just me. You're only as good as your last gig or whatever. A person that's in any kind of step above it, anybody else. And sometimes you're where, you know, people speaking to you in a way that they're maybe a bit shy and I'm assuming that you're maybe this kind of otherly person or whatever. And it kind of does, it kind of makes you shy and weird because you just think, I'm just me, do you know what I mean? I'm not any big deal. And I, I I kind of, I saw that as well because I, I lived in a flat years ago with people that were in bands and things that maybe got a bit of success and got on top of the pops. I saw how it changed some people and was aware of that thing that I thought, I don't want to become that dick. You know what I mean? It's oh, I... the rock garden hinkner, you know what I mean? They're Jack the Lad because they were on top of the pops last week. Do you know what I mean? And you knew other people that had maybe more success but weren't like that that still retained a sense of who they are. So I think I saw that when I was younger and thought, I want to be that person. I don't want to be that person, if you know what I mean. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Because we've all met people that are well-known and you, you kind of go, and you're like, chill out, Glasgow's, you know Glasgow's I mean? full of them, man. Glasgow's full of them. Get a grip. You know what I mean? Who are you? You're playing tunes. <laughs> what are you doing? It's an interesting analogy that I say there's no such thing as luck. Ali McCoy, a lot of people say he was very lucky in football, but his, he was in the right place at the right time, and he was always in the right place at the right time. And I think there's a real technique in being able to work hard and know how to be in the right place at the right time. And also, yeah. when you're in that right time, take your opportunity. And I've been successful. You and Dominic have been tremendously successful. Oh, and, 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 you know, to, to, to be there for 30 years doing what you've done, to have the gigs that you've played, you've been tremendously successful. Well, this discussion with my son, because my son does quite well, and he was talking about some mate of his who's making an album, thinks it's going to be amazing, and do, do, do. And I said, I think anything creative, Jasper, so much luck and timing involved. If you hadn't got on the underground at that particular time or went to that pub on that night, whatever, there's loads of those wee things go into making you successful or whatever. There's a team, you know what I mean? You're part of a team that are all working behind the scenes to this thing work. So it's not all about just hard work because there's thousands of people working hard at trying to do stuff and, you know what I mean, in Syria or whatever. You know what I mean? You get certain advantages. 
you know, some people are born with certain advantages and it's it's using them, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. You've inspired an awful lot of people with your music. Are there any people that you could say that have inspired you throughout your career? Oh, God, I probably... Uh, who would I say... I mean, it's a kind of difficult one. Maybe with a couple of pints in me, I could rattle them off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, kind of are just people that kind of still seem like themselves. I mean, a few are friends, and I wouldn't like to say their names because they might be embarrassed by it. Yeah. Hey, but probably more just people that I know, you know what I mean? Sure. Rather than famous people or whatever, though I don't know. I mean, I watched a documentary recently about Quincy Jones, and I thought, what a guy! Mm-hmm. Like Quincy, you know what I mean? What a talent! And th- there's people with that, but you know, you don't know what they might be like behind the scenes or in in real life. You know, uh, I'm trying to think who would have inspired me. There's loads, but it's mostly pals. That's very uh, important as well. It was yeah. Shawadi Wadi for me. <laughs> they inspired me to. They inspired me to want fancy coloured suits and brothel keepers. Brothel keepers, big man. Uh, my man wouldn't buy me them. I was like, "How do you mean? Why can I not have the shoes under the moon of love?" Oh, let's go for the little. Mate, I've got it. Before before Duffy goes off in one, uh, the final two questions we've got for you, Harry, uh, and, and it's the same question, just been a, a, a different spin on it. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given, and what piece of advice would you give the next generation? I mean, there's loads of. Uh, <laughs> geez, there's loads of. Never get too big for your boots. <laughs> or enjoy enjoy what you do, you know, whatever it is, because that way you're going to have a happier life, whether it's playing music or football or whatever. Just enjoy it for what it is. And you can maybe dream about maybe getting some kind of success or, you know, recognition for it. It's like making music and being involved in that thing. It's a bit like your own way of just sedating yourself it's like in a world of confusion and whatever you can create your own wee space and time where time doesn't matter anymore you just kind of a wee alternate reality that you can slip into you can immerse yourself in it and you're doing it and you're hoping that when other people hear it or they're they're in that space they get that too because it's quite kind of calming it's like maybe some people have to take, you know, medication or whatever to get into that mindset. It's something that I, I can do with visuals and, and music and stuff like that. I can find a wee kind of safe haven that you go, oh, this is magic, you know, whether anybody else likes or appreciates it as, as a bonus. But, but audio Valium. Aye, there's another, there's another name for another band. Harry, thanks very much for your time. It's been uh, a you pleasure see. speaking to you. Um, thanks, Harry. Cheers. Well, lovely speaking to you guys. Thank you. Oh, it's good. Thank you. Have a good Friday. <laughs> <laughs>